Well, after our homily, you, is that okay, Alex? If I set that there, you're going to play with that? No. Okay, good. Mary, you got to watch it, okay? After our homily, I, we're going to have our first Holy Communion uh, children come and crown Our Lady for our May crowning in honor of our, of our Blessed Mother. And it's very appropriate that we're doing it today. It's the day after the feast of Our Lady of Fatima, and this is the 100-year anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima, yesterday was. So 100 years ago yesterday, Mary appeared uh, in Portugal to the three shepherd children. And uh, so this is a nice time. We have a convergence of a lot of things going on here. We've got the May crowning, we've got Our Lady of Fatima, and also, of course, as we know, we've got the civil holiday of Mother's Day. And I'd like to give, in my homily, a little, uh, a little homily on Mother's Day. Now, someone might say, well, look at the scripture readings. You know, how are you going to, where is mothers in these scripture readings? Well, you just wait. I'm going to pull it out of there, out of it, okay? If we notice something very subtle, you can miss it. It's in our first reading in the book of Acts. There's an internal church dispute over the material support of these widows. Okay, now this is very interesting because if you look at other passages of the Bible... And, and just other documents, historical documents, this group of widows very likely is the beginning of an order of widows that St. Paul talks about in his epistles. And uh, this order of widows, uh, at first, again, according to what we're looking at here in our text, they look like they're kind of a material drain on, on the community, you know? What good do they do? They just eat or something like that, you know? But actually, you would be very... Uh, deceived if that's what you thought, because these widows were so important to the life of the community. They were the spiritual powerhouse. They were the spiritual source of life, really, for the community. They were the heart of the community because of their prayer, especially, and their penance, and the good works of charity that they did to build up the community. Now, this order of widows consisted, at first, mostly of women whose husbands had passed on. But it's a very interesting thing that it's a, it's a historical fact before the end of the apostolic era, it, uh, women who had never married were admitted, admitted into this order of widows. And they were widows in an honorary sense. <clears throat> and they all took vows to not marry again if they had previously married and their husband had died. Or if they had never married, they took a vow not to marry. Okay, an oath or a vow of some sort. So this is really the beginning of what we today refer to as religious life. You think of nuns, okay, religious sisters, basically traces back to these communities of ladies all the way back to the time of the apostles. And they were spiritual mothers. It's very interesting to see that transition where you had literal mothers and then they started to admit uh, virgins into their order. Because right from the beginning, and this was a recognition of a reality that was there right from the beginning, that spiritual motherhood was their main reason for existence. Their, the main purpose of this group was spiritual motherhood. Okay, so we can kind of contrast. You know, we got this idea of motherhood or mothers as givers of life, natural life, but God has created and nature has given us the reality of motherhood. So that uh, for something bigger, for a bigger reality, for spiritual life, mo natural motherhood is ordered towards spiritual motherhood. Okay, so 
motherhood is about giving natural life, but more fundamentally, it's about giving spiritual life. And uh, here's a little story that I came across recently. I said, oh, i got to include that in a Mother's Day homily. Very, very good story. And uh, it's about a mother who preserved the life of her child. Uh, and it's uh, the preser- preservation of the natural life of her child. But we can see it as a kind of a parable for uh, spiritual life and also for what Christ did for us. So I'm not sure if anybody remembers this. It was a... It probably made the news pretty well at the time, but it was what happened a long time ago. We could have forgot about it. It was the summer of 1987, and uh, Northwest Airlines Flight 225 took off out of Detroit Airport and crashed soon thereafter. Okay, crashed actually on a, a, a throughway. It's a very nasty crash. 500. I'm sorry. 156 people were on the plane. 155 of them died. So it was a really, really horrendous crash. And with flames, it was terrible. One person survives. A four-year-old girl named Cecilia survived this. How? How does she survive? How was her life, her natural life, preserved and saved through this tragedy? Her mother, Paula, while the plane was going down, unbuckled her seatbelt got out of her seat, went around to Cecilia's seat, and knelt down in front of her, put her arms around Cecilia, embraced her, took her right into her bosom, and held on tight. And between Mom's body and Cecilia, the, the fall, the crash, and the flames couldn't come. And so this is how Cecilia... Life was preserved. And this is a really powerful image of what Jesus has done for us. Christ, as it were, came down from his glory. He kind of unbuckled his seatbelt of glory. Okay? And he got down on our level. And with his own body, he saved our lives, our spiritual lives. Okay? And we see here. How motherhood as a source and as a preserver of natural life is really meant to be all about spiritual life. We see this especially in Mary, our mother, who we celebrate today, who we're going to crown today. Mary, you know, we say uh, um, we, we're a Eucharistic community. We're all about the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the center of our community's life, of the life of the church over the, the worldwide, over, over the whole world. Christ says, this is my body, which will be given for you. That's true on the cross. It's true also in the Eucharist. The Eucharist nourishes us, nourishes our spiritual life. It preserves our spiritual life. But where did Jesus get the body to give to us? Where did Jesus get his body from? Got it from the Blessed Mother, from his mother. Okay? So Mary, we see indirectly, kind of behind the scenes, and isn't that like mothers? They're always behind the scenes, right? Uh, Mary, behind the scenes, indirectly, provided the body that was sacrificed for the salvation of the whole world. It was Mary that ultimately was the source of that natural life, and now she's she's the source of our spiritual life as well, because just as she brought the Savior into the world... 
to save the whole world. So now she from heaven prays for all humanity. And there is not a grace that's given to any human being that does not pass through the maternal intercession of Our Lady. So even now, here she is as a mother, giving us life, spiritual life. And of course, for those of us whose mothers have passed on and Lord willing are in heaven, what do you think they're doing for us right now? They're praying for us. This is the secret of the beauty of motherhood. It is all about prayer and the preservation of spiritual life through prayer. Here's another little story. Um, I, I told my dad to make sure that he brought my mom to, to church today. So my parents are here. I was going to embarrass my mom. It's a story about my mother. Um, when I was a kid, one of my earliest memories, uh, going back now, I know for sure before kindergarten, so I might have been five, I could have been earlier. This is one of my earliest memories ever. I said to my mother, um, Mom, where did, uh, where did God come from? And she said something really, really simple, very profound. She said, God always was. God has no beginning. God always was. And I think she added, he always will be and he'll have no end. But the thought that God always existed to the mind and the heart of a four or five-year-old hit me like lightning. It was, it was very profound. And I can remember going to bed that night and just laying in my bed, not sleeping, and just thinking to myself, God has no beginning. Just thinking that over and over again. And uh, as an adult, I can look back and I can interpret my experience accurately. Uh, after years of education, I understand theologically what was happening. I was entering into contemplation, okay? A mystical state called contemplation. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but I remember this sense of infinity and this sense of God's presence that was very overwhelming to me as a child. And I remember looking forward to going to bed at night because that was the place that I could go and lay down and think that thought, God has no beginning. And I would just think that. And I would meditate upon that and experience God's presence. And that went on for weeks and months. Eventually I kind of maybe forgot about it or whatever. But that went, that went on for a very long time. So we see here an example of a mother mediating God and the life of God and the experience of God to her child. And of course, again, my, some of my earliest memories was learning the Hail Mary from my mother, learning how to pray the rosary from my mother. She sat me down, she made me pray the rosary. I probably, I don't know, I probably thought it was a little, a little boring or something at the time, but those prayers were given to me. And as I got older, I began to appreciate them more. I remember I worked, this is a side story, I haven't included this in other versions of the homily, this just hits me right now. I uh, worked, as I was preparing to become a priest, I worked 11 weeks uh, in a strong moral hospital, kind of like as a, an apprentice chaplain, so to speak. And there were a number of other people that I was working with. Some of them were people preparing to become Protestant ministers. There's one woman who was preparing to become a Protestant minister. She herself was a fallen away Catholic. And she only told me that much like later on. Okay, so she was a fallen away Catholic. Uh, but she was preparing to become a Protestant minister. And uh, she said to me um, that she went into this one room and she was ministering to a Catholic person, uh, you know, on their deathbed. And uh, just spontaneously, she started praying the Hail Mary. 
uh, with her. Well, where did this where did this woman get that Hail Mary from? Her mother taught it to her when she was a little kid. And so, mothers, don't ever doubt the value of teaching your kids, in even if it's in a rote manner, even if they're bored out of their minds, don't ever underestimate the value of making them get it by heart. Because as they get older, they might stray from the faith. But when they come back, by God's grace in your prayers, the prayer will be waiting for them there. All along will have been there for them in their hearts. And uh, so this is, this is the beauty of motherhood. It is a transmission, not just natural life, but also spiritual life. Today we celebrate that. We thank our mothers. And uh, personally here, I've got some flowers for my mom I'm going to give her here, okay? I'm going to embarrass her. And you know, mothers have to continue to pray for their kids for their whole life long. So mom, you can stand up. My salvation and probably my priesthood too to my mother's prayer. She prays for me constantly. And don't stop, Mom, because I'm not, you know, until I'm until you go or I go first, just keep praying. Okay, we absolutely need the prayers of our mothers. They carry us for nine months, they labor to give birth to us, but that the work doesn't stop there. It continues on. They're continuing to carry us, continuing to labor, especially through prayer. Okay. Only in eternity will we know the amazing value of the prayers and the intercessions of our mothers. So right now we're going to try.